Later on, as I move into more mature work or understanding, you know, design's value within 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 the industry or within within the company or within a you know organization, I started to realize that you know, the more you can open yourself to different kind of product, you know, don't set boundary. Let's say you get a chance to work on, you know, B two B software. You get a chance to work on IoT product. You get a chance to work on you know. The latest mobile kind of technology, do it. Why? Because it will only broaden your view on design. Hello, friends. My name is Kirill, and you're listening to my UX Career Podcast. On this podcast, I'm sharing my personal thoughts on how to start a career path in UX, how to grow your skills and become a better designer. Also, I have conversations with other designers and design leaders, trying to show. That there are many different perspectives and opinions on the key questions about UX career. So, if you're a UX designer or considering becoming one, this podcast will get you better prepared for finding a job in UX. Opinions expressed on this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of my current or previous employers. And don't forget, this is just one human's point of view. Today, I have another episode from the Q and A with Design Manager series, and I talk to Andy Liu from Future Forum Design Agency. Andy shares his story from getting curious about UX design to launching his own design boutique agency. We talk about having an open mind to working on different kinds of products across diverse industries and problem spaces, understanding your strengths and passions, and highlighting them in your resume. Being honest when presenting your work and clear, and be clear on what was your particular role in the project. Also, we talk about the future of the profession and how important、uh, it is and will be to have the keep learning and be ready to change your mindset, and a lot more. Enjoy. I really appreciate your time, Andy, and thanks for being willing to contribute to this initiative. My great, great pleasure, Carol.、Um, you know, I'm happy to share with.、Um... Uh, you know our our insights and learnings about user, you know UX design and innovation. Excellent. Okay, so let's start with with the overall introduction from like your role,、um, your own company, because you are not an employee, right? You're you're running your own agency, so this is completely bringing a different perspective、uh, from the hiring point of view. But you're also focusing a lot on the junior entry level designers, which is super relevant for the audience. So, can you share a bit more about the company, about and what's your role there, and how you're involved in the hiring process overall? Yeah, so、um, so Future Form is a、um, boutique design agency、um, that focuses on you know, innovation for emerging technology. So, I've been operating this firm、um, for the past four years, and now we're we're in a very interesting phase right now to sort of like incubate more project and grow into something bigger. And、uh, for my role, I've been the you know the owner, but also the design director for the for the company. And you know most of stuff we do is user experience design. But I would say the the key edge or the difference that we bring to the table or to our clients are we do work with、uh, new technology, let's say artificial intelligence, robotics, or you know interesting new productivity tools. You know,、um, so so I think what we try to push for is to use the value of design to solve new. Uh, problem in technology and to bring value、um, to the market and to people. So、um, it's a smaller, t- small team right now. We have、uh, six people.、Um, uh, most of them are designer, but we do have a 
Uh, I do have a technology partner uh, based in New York. Um, uh, so we have a, we're a fully remote team. And there's also a business partner uh, based in Shanghai. He has a, a venture capital background. He's part of a venture capital firm. And we are partner, partnering for a lot of business development process for early stage clients. And the clients we work with are normally, I would say, 60% their early stage, you know, uh, uh, VC found or pre-A round uh, company in technology. And we do also work with like, you know, bigger technology firm like unicorns or Fortune 500s. Uh, we work with um, uh, Pearson Education, which is a uh, top education firm. And also uh, we worked with Microsoft Research Asia in the past years. So yeah, so this is, you know, the type of work we're doing. And re regarding uh, the hiring process, uh, I'm doing most of the hiring. I would say 90% of the hiring. And um, uh, I would say half of our designers that are hired over the years, I think over 20, are uh, somewhat junior designers. They're, they're you know, either getting an uh, early, uh, you know, first job, first full-time job, or an internship, or, you know, an intern slash contractor role. So, yeah, I do most of the hiring process. And, um, yeah, happy to share more about those insights deeper with you later on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and we'll touch on those uh, kind of more details about the company and the current process and the team structure a bit later. Uh, so let's start with uh, I guess the background. And um, I'm curious to understand why you decided to get into this industry at all, and like what was your journey through that process? Like what were the I guess the career trajectory and like the the key steps? Yeah, it's a great question. I think. Um... You know, I definitely have something to share. It's a personal journey, but, you know, I, I think um, I, I started um, my career around 10 years ago in Vancouver. And before I moved to Vancouver for UBC, so I, I went to UBC for their master's degree in digital media and HCI. Uh, before that, I had an engineering degree in sync from uh, Nanyang Technology University in Singapore. So I had an engineering background. And then um, in my fourth year, I started... So final year in my undergrad, I started to get into HCI research and new media research. And I just noticed that, um, you know, in my research process, I explored this new domain. That was like 10 years ago, right? 11 years ago, called user experience design. And I was like, wow, this is something very interesting because, you know, I try to, I see myself as a creative person from early age and I study engineering and I, I saw that discipline. I think I was looking at books by Ideal, Adapted Path and, you know, Frog. And I just told myself, hey, this is something I want to get into. And then I moved to Vancouver. I moved to UBC. Um, the program offered a lot of um, industry exposure um, to students. So I, you know, I, I sort of uh, took a lot of classes in HCI and uh, design. This also, I, you know, try to self-study or self-teach design and usability and UX and everything related, you know, for the, those two years within my career. And um, um, I, I think I work at... Uh, three different companies for my interns. Uh, I did a bit of work in development, web development, and uh, some early agency work at a company called Dare in Yale Town. Um, and then uh, I landed uh, my third internship at FCB Interactive, which is a company, uh, I don't think they're there anymore, but uh, uh, we used to have a very well-rounded user experience team back in the days. And I was an intern there first. And then, uh, you know, um, as you said before, it's pretty hard to get a job, right? So I, I interned there for like a couple months and then, you know, the manager liked me and said, we want to offer you a contractor role for a project. And then I became a contractor for, for, two, for two more months and then turned full time. And I worked there for uh, two and a half years. 
you know, work on projects related to Vancouver, like we're BC Redesign or BC Hydro and a lot of government related projects. And then, uh, you know, at that time, there's a there's an industry trend for uh, agency designer to jump into in-house. So I joined a company in Vancouver called Vision Critical. Um, you know, they were hiring at that time and uh, I joined their uh, product design team. It was a, you know, very cool team, you know, um, around 10 different designer um, um, and, um you know, I was uh, in charge of the uh, data uh, analysis uh, side of the product. So, you know, I was there for close to a year. Um, and then, you know, I'm from uh, Beijing, China. Um, and um, at that time, uh, I noticed that uh, there's a, a growing trend in, in technology design uh, for uh, for Asian market. So I, I made a, a move to move back to China for two years. And um, I, I actually started uh, Future Forum there and, um, you know, started working on you know, personal project first as a freelancer and then register a company, hiring a team. It took a few years. And uh, I, around two years ago, I moved back to Vancouver. So uh, the team now is actually, half of them are actually in Vancouver, half of them are actually in China. So we do work with uh, American clients, Canadian clients and Chinese clients. Um, so um, I think long story short, that's uh, that's how, how things work. And, and proceed over the years for the past uh, 10 years for me. And that's very interesting, a very uh, rich uh, path. Uh, I have a question about how do you find the right balance between the, I guess, the visual design and like the UX design preferences between the the Asian market and uh, the North American market and the kind of more westernized? Because from what I've seen so far, um, there are qu- quite different patterns, quite different Real kind of preferences uh, from f- if if you can generalize the markets. Um, so how do you really find the balance between the two? Yeah, that's a very good question and very insightful question. Uh, I do agree that there's a difference. Well, there's a trend that uh, a lot of the emerging markets, say in Asia, like you know Japan, China, Indonesia, they're catching up with the Silicon Valley trend. <laughs> you know, like you know UI is more of a trend, right? But I do think in terms of UX design and UI design, there are cultural differences. And uh, my walk around, around that, my you know hack for that is uh, I would try normally to assign a uh, North American-based designer for North American clients. And I would try to hire in Vancouver, um, sometimes in other regions in North America, but mostly Vancouver because, you know, I spent years mentoring uh, students here. Um, I had some exposure to the uh, talent pool here. But still, I wish I had more. But you know, um, it's how I work. You know, with American North American clients, and then uh, with Chinese clients, I do have you know resources and connection back there. So um, their you know way of looking at design definitely is somewhat different compared to North America. And um, you know, they use a product there every day, and and they will have a better eye for you know the localization of the UI there. So. Uh, and um, me myself, I'm trying to always absorb what's happening uh, in both worlds. You know, even though it's not an easy job to do, but uh, I try to keep up. So, um, so that yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's that's quite smart, I think. Um, yeah, and cultural differences are definitely, especially if you have a background in this, like as a designer, definitely help you empathize with the needs of your audience and like the. Um, choose the right direction with the design uh, vision for, for the product, so which is super smart. Uh, thinking through all the, I guess, aha moments and uh, mistakes that you've made and uh, learnings from all your 
previous experiences as a as a professional and as a as a I guess as a designer mostly. The the the, the framing is here is, uh, from the design point of view. Um, what things you wish uh, you knew when you were starting your career? Like, what would you really warn the 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 entry level designers or the people who are just trying to to kind of to get into this field? What should they keep in mind? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I I I think you know in the past few days I had a one on one with one of my designer about this. I think um, for me, if I had a second time to actually start everything, I would say, don't limit yourself. Uh, don't judge too much about what you work on. Um, the reason why I said that is, you know, I think uh, looking back, you know, I don't want to be very specific, but looking back into my career, especially early, early stage of my career, the two first two to three years, um, I can be a bit opinionated or influenced by other people about, oh yeah, you know, this kind of work is more cool than other type of work. You know, don't work on, you know, B2B product because it's just, you know, it's not, it's not like sexy enough, right? As a designer, it's just like, it's not that creative. Um, but, you know, I, I think I made some mistake in terms of, you know, coping with some of the responsibility that I had at that time. And later on, as I move into more mature work or understanding you know, design's value within, within, within the industry or within, within the company or within a, you know, organization, I started to realize that, you know, the more you can open yourself to different kind of product, you know, don't set boundary. Let's say you get a chance to work on, you know, B2B software, you get a chance to work on IoT product, you get a chance to work on, you know, the latest mobile kind of technology, do it. Why? Because it will only broaden your view on design. And it's almost like different way to ride a bicycle, right? It's like you can ride a bicycle in this way or, or different way to swim. You can swim in this way, but maybe you're not that fast. But if you learn to swim the other way, you can figure something out, right? There's pros and cons in both work. And I think uh, a the more senior a designer is, I think you have a more balanced view in terms of, you know, consumer product, you know, business product. IoT product, or even like you know, uh, um, uh, IoT, or or even like AI product with which uh, say voice interface. There's no interface; it's just voice, right? How do you design that? So I think, I think in that you will understand the difference in terms of different discipline, and um, but also getting the core process intact. And I think a lot of younger designer, when I mentor them or work with them, they will have this, and I think it's actually happening in this recent like two to three years. I would say a lot of designer, they were um, very, uh, I would say, influenced by, you know, whether you want to go for consumer-based product or to, you know, business product. They always, they, this, it seemed to me that they have this mindset that oh, once you go business product, you cannot shift into consumer because employer will, 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 will judge you based on your portfolio. The way I think about it is that if you change your mindset, you can learn anything. So I think this is the, advice I want to give myself, and I, this is another advice I want to give to younger designers who are uh, more concerned about this right now. That's a, that's a very uh, very good and quite unusual uh, advice. I haven't heard this one yet. Oh, but it totally makes sense. I completely agree that like the more, div the more diverse experiences, uh, from my opinion, in my opinion, and they result in a 
I guess, different depth of thinking and just kind of, and I also think actually being more empathetic for, for different constraints or different needs or different even like preferences from the users, from the, from the business side, from the customer side, from like everything. So I'm a strong advocate for diversity in experiences and different roles and different spaces. Uh, so I completely agree. The, the challenge I see though, is especially from the employer's point of view, they, I guess, understandable, like their decision is understandable, but they, for example, if it's a B2B company, uh, they will, in most cases, they will be actually pre-screening the applicants to get only people with B2B experience and not really consider B2C as much, uh, with some exception. But that's kind of the trend that I've seen. And on one hand, like I understand this decision because they want to get somebody who who knows how to do this job and who will be do be able to do this job faster. But on the other hand, it also as a as a kind of the result of this. I guess narrowing down the selection, it also brings a bit more. I guess the negative side of the it's kind of specialization, but also kind of lack of diversity of the views, right? And again, diversity could be like on any different dimension, but this is diversity of like different types of products, which is like business focused or kind of consumer facing. Which um, I think, like from the job seekers' perspective, it adds this. As you're saying, like, don't limit yourself to, like, if you started with B2C, that you cannot go to B2B, right? But uh, the other side, like, the challenge that they have is that, like, basically, employers ignore them because they haven't worked on B2B and they kind of, they, they worked on B2C. And I understand that there are ways how you can, I guess, add more proof that you can work on B2B products and, and that, compl- that kind of um, challenges, set of challenges by having your own kind of side projects or like maybe some kind of uh, case studies that you just build for the for the portfolio. But it's much harder to switch from B2C to B2B. And uh, I've heard this from many different employers that um, it's definitely, especially looking at the portfolios with B2C projects, the complexity and uh, the amount of constraints that the designer usually has to work with when they build a B2C product Usually a typical one, especially with a new age, it's like a, a mobile app of sorts uh, with like very simple flow, like very minimal screens. But in the B2B world, it's more constraints and more challenges to go through like one design. So I understand both sides, but it's kind of the reality that employers also kind of already pre-screen those, uh, the applicants based on this uh Kind of experience B2B versus B2C. So from your, especially in your kind of hiring and um, uh, interviewing uh, of the junior folks, uh, junior designers, um, what does a good resume look like to you? Like, because there is a huge debate about going creative or going the plain simple. So applicant tracking systems on the big companies that are used quite often do not filter this out. So what's your opinion on this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I don't speak for other people, and um, um, it's a very personal take on resume building. Um, I did a I did a sharing session actually at Red Academy last year uh, about this. Uh, my key advice for even younger or junior designer is that you want to understand as much about your own strengths, even your when you're early on, as possible, and with that understanding about your strengths or even interests or passion, 
you want to show that in your resume in a somewhat, I wouldn't say like too explicit way, but, you know, at least to let other people know you're not just another cookie cutter <laughs> type of, you know, designer like that. You just look at the resume. You don't know how, how different two person are because you use the same software and you work, have the same kind of buzzwords in our design field. Uh, I normally would love to see a resume to showcase some of that. Uh, I would say shining things. Uh, it's not that easy, but I, I would encourage early designer to say, uh, you know, because I think right now we have this trend of end-to-end design, right? Like, you know, you you, you start from, you know, user research to like prototyping to interaction design to visual. Um, but I, I, I always think that uh, everyone, every designer will have a very spec- specific personal ratio in terms of their talent. And I think that's defined by who they are and how they learn and what they want to do at that stage in their career early on. Let's say some designer, they are very visual. They kind of know that, but they, because they haven't really worked on like real project or work with like a professional setting. So you can only see some of that work or some of that trade in their portfolio when they're walking through. And, um, and in you look at their portfolio, you know, they don't say that. You know, they have a very creative eye. And some designers, they're very logistic, you know, uh, uh, like systematic thinking. Even though when they're in school, I see a lot of, you know, a good portion of students, like in, in, in first, the first um, fashion and second fashion. And I think, you know, I would love to see if there's a way for an early designer to at least tell me in the resume, say, I tend to be a systematic thinker or I'm more of a visual creative thinker. When I see that, I feel like this person knows himself or herself a bit, you know, like even though when you're young, that means you kind of know your core strengths. I know it's not that easy, but I still do see designer like that. And when I hired um, 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 uh, the other previous designer, I work with Celine, um, she had a very artistic background. And, um, and in her portfolio early on, she's trying to showcase a lot of different stuff. And when I talked with her and after seeing her portfolio, I just realized that, hey, she must, must be very good at creative problem solving. And after working with her, I just realized that's a, that's a right judgment. And then it doesn't mean that she's not good at UX, but, you know, it's just, you know, she has very good eye on that, even better than a lot of like young uh, senior designers. So I think it's, it's, it's going to be a good thing for early designer to know that authenticity in their work, even at a young, early age. And they they should figure out a way, either through education or some peer advice to to actually at least see some of that and gain that confidence. And I think that kind of like self-acknowledgement related confidence will create a positive reinforcement for them to get better jobs or jobs that will, will fit them in their early career. So I would say that's, uh, that's how I... That's my answer to your question. Could you share your opinion like on the structure, the format, maybe like key mistakes that uh, you've seen people making and maybe actually also an example that really stood out to you, like maybe from the recent uh, applications that just really kind of, you remember it now. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think in general, um, you want to be, you know, just now I was a bit, you know, talking about high level stuff, but I think in, in more detail way, um, if you're writing a lot of project description, like for a single project or what you did, 
you want to be very systematic. It's like visual design, interaction design, research, right? What's your own responsibility in a group project? And um, uh, it's better to use me or I than we, you know, like or in an interview or resume or team, right? Like, and be very, very specific about your own contribution because that's a, that's a professional honesty, uh, uh, which is quite important. And I also like to, you know, I, I normally do not trust when a candidate come in and tell me they're good at everything, right? But I think a lot of, you know, designer, early designer, they, I think it's a sort of a lack of curiosity, uh, sorry, lack of security. And it's just want to showcase they can do a lot of things, but, you know, they will put on too many software, right? And, um, and I look at that, I will be like, well, what's, what, you know, maybe instead of putting 10, you can just put two to three, right? And I think just doing a bit more filtering process in that will be also important. And also the other thing I like is that, um, you know, I like when designer highlights some of the key points in their resume, you know, just highlight some stuff uh, um, uh, visually, right? And I think that will be um, really, really effective uh, in, a, in a sort of filtering process or uh, hiring process. And from all the resumes that you receive, do you review each each of them uh, yourself, or there is like some kind of screening mechanism that precedes that? Um, actually, I review them uh, myself, um, and uh, sometimes I will review it with my team, especially when it comes to a a decision making stage. Right? It's like we're hiring someone, and we have maybe one or two candidates, which all we all like and we would just discuss that or or i guess yeah i would say before we when i view the resume and before before i talk to the candidate you know i would definitely have an impression and for those um you know i want to get feedback from my team which means i, I like this person before i talk to them i will review that with the team and get some other feedback and let them decide uh, or tell me or tell other people in the team that what are the things we should ask this person during the interview. Uh, but again, back to your question, I would say 80% of the time I'm doing most of the reviewing process on resume myself. Can you share what you're looking in the portfolio, in a, like with the case studies and uh, the format and the structure and the number of projects, especially in the scenarios when the person doesn't have a lot of projects to show or they just uh, graduated for, from, a, from, a, from a bootcamp or some program? Uh, and they don't have real work experience per se to show that. Like, what's your expectation on this? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, I've been thinking about that too, right? Um, uh, I recently have been interviewing, uh, you know, junior designers. Um, I think when that happens, when you're you know, you're young and you don't have too much work exposure, you know, you're working on some project and you, you want to show your portfolio in a very visually nice way. And just to show that you're, you know, you're, you're capable of doing things, right? Like design visually. I would advise that show more raw content in your design. Um, you can either provide a link, uh, you know, say if you want to look, view more about the, some of the raw data, let's say you're running your user research, right? Um, why not show us some of the Excel spreadsheet that you made to track all your data, right? What are the, you know, thinking process, even though it's hard to document thinking process, but, you know, show some 
um, um, raw data or raw process outcome. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it, it showcases your process oriented and you know what is important to show. And I think when a designer tend to show you that and they know what to show you and they they put it on, it, like some of the designer, they put it onto their website in a very sort of explicit way just to show, you know, like raw, raw hand drawing. And they provide a lot of really good articulation for that. And when that happens, I'm like, this person gets it. Even though she's young, she gets it. And versus designer who, who try to be too protective on the sort of maturity of, of what they show, I, w- I would say I, w- I want to see even more less perfect stuff. So I was I would say that that would be my first advice for designers. And the other thing I was I was saying is a red flag is that for designers who are showing group work, right? Because in a lot of um, you know uh, uh, boot camp sessions and you know in school projects too. There are group works, let's say research process. It's hard to do research on your own. And it's it's n- never a case when you're a designer, you're designing everything from scratch, both UX and UI. There must be your own responsibility and delegation. And chances are you're showing the work that's done by more than one designer or more than one researcher, right? Be very explicit about your own contribution. And even though you haven't done much, but that kind of honesty is what I'm looking for. And when I'm interviewing someone and, um, you know, th- that happens. And, you know, I try to clarify with, you know, certain candidates doing the interview, whether this piece you're showing me is done by you or your team. Uh, when that hasn't been clearly communicated, I will lose certain level of uh, interest in this person because I, I expect um, some level of creative honesty in their work. Um, so it could be a careless mistake uh, done by candidates, but you know I would definitely be uh, very cautious about it, and I I would say that's my another advice to uh, young designers. Let's talk about the future of the UX design profession. What do you think will happen with different, I guess, like with the with the with the profession itself, and especially we're thinking about and you are close to this the innovation and like the automation like AI and machine learning. How people who who are starting today can future proof their job, their profession, and like maybe which way, like which vertical they should tackle or focus on to reduce the risk of being replaced by an AI or a system of sorts. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, I definitely have something to share. You know, one of the reasons I started this uh, small firm is that I. I think around four to three to four years ago, I kind of noticed that there's some, I would say, saturation process within the design field. Where when we first got in, we were, you know, pushing for like, you know, how to, you know, early, you know, like Web three, like two point oh, three point oh, we're defining what is a component library at that time, right? Like, you know, CSS tricks and you know and all that. And then a few years later, like now Figma can actually provide an automatic design library connected with you know react library very easily like a lot of that sort of internal sort of like creative process is already being automated even though we're doing very you know detail driven design um, I would say the pressure for a lot of designer now is your skill some of the some of the creative process that you're you're, you're involved <laughs> will one day and soon enough really soon, be replaced by automation, especially those 
uh, repetition work or standardized work. Let's say UI component library, that's definitely one. And I think um, it's a good thing if you're, if, you're, if you're a fast learner and understand that. And it's always important to understand that. But I do think in the field of user experience design, um, um, I would say a keen eye or interest on technology to me is a must. The reason being, we're working in mostly technology field, despite if you're working as a service designer, which is you know, not that much opportunity out there in North America or in the world, I would say. Um, if you're working in tech, uh, there's trend in tech. And I think you know, understanding what's new, let's say for uh, you know, uh, natural user interface, voice interface, or you know, uh, multimodal design and, and, and you know, tangible interaction, and how that can be applied, uh, you know, in the market uh, is definitely something I would encourage designer to understand more. And now, you know, like metaverse is getting really popular and a hot topic. You know, what about VR design? I talk with some of potential clients that we try to work with and they're well-founded. They're very technology focused. And they talk to me, they're like, we haven't found any designer in even North America uh, to figure out how to design this. And some of the designers who know how to do it are actually at Re Oculus at Facebook. And, and what, what I'm trying to say is, it's not just Facebook that needs VR designers, but is there's a lot of um, other companies when, you know, when they get more mature, when the market is ready, they will start to hire a VR designer. And why not to invest in you know, learning and equip yourself with certain knowledge like that? To, to the new trends, right? Which requires some new learning process. And I think within that learning process, uh, be very focused on your own interest instead of just chasing technology. And I think that would be my second advice because I always say every designer's interest is different because every, every person's interest is different. Like I tend to look into, you know, maybe like voice interface design because that's kind of related to HCI and kind of related to my background. And, and you know, there are also designers well, very interesting this like no code or you know kind of new design pattern where you look at product like notion Airtable, right and all that kind of like like kind of like setting new web standard type of productivity apps that's a new trend too and i think uh, those products are also very design focused you know notion is hyper design focused everyone knows that and also Airtable. and i think you want to also figure out a way to understand that product not just as a user, but you know, understand what are the design influence for those products. If you like those products, and just like understand, you know, those influence and equip yourself to be in that zone too, right? So I think that's the uh, the other way of looking at it. At that, like that's another way of chasing what you feel interested in in that sort of technology domain. So I would say still, you know, um, be proactive and definitely try to be a you know, lifelong learner and always learn, you know, um, um, about things that interest you. And that will, I would say, keep uh, everyone, uh, you know, the designer's creative confidence and, you know, and curiosity um, ongoing and consistent. Yeah, I like the comment about the, um, uh, the always learning mindset because we cannot predict what will happen in 10 years. Like, we could, like, just quite risky to make predictions right now because things are changing so, so fast, right? And the pace of these changes has been um, increasing. 
So the only solution that I see, like the, the kind of overarching mentality is that like you, you need to be ready to learn something new. You need to be ready uh, to just kind of completely pivot and switch to a different part of the design industry. You need to be ready to completely switch to different technologies. So it's really, I don't think like the, the old, like the traditional security of having a profession, uh, especially in tech, like super fast uh, moving tech world is uh, as relevant. So I think we definitely will, all of us should be ready to just just be open to the idea of that you'll have to to iterate and like adapt to the changing environment and all these new technologies that who knows like maybe like three years down the road there will be flying cars and um, and you'll have to be designing interfaces for that like who knows or maybe like no interfaces at all and they're just like flying around it people do something else so it's really hard to i mean like there are some trends but like the longer term definitely uh being open to the idea of learning and uh, kind of just potentially completely scratching what you've been doing and like switching to a different uh, track um, should be should be yeah, a good idea for everyone. Okay, so let's talk about um, a bit more tactical pieces, back to kind of the, the thread of the uh, portfolio resumes and talk about the design exercises, the whiteboarding, and this way of, I guess, trying to evaluate a skill set of, of a candidate. And uh, the context here is not like particular about your company, but like overall your thoughts on polarizing opinions quite often on the, on this topic. And uh, first of all, I think it's related to different definitions. So there is a big, I guess, uh, argument against uh, having design exercises. But in those arguments that I've seen so far, well, the majority of the complaints are related to to the situations when when the candidates are given a task to design something, in most cases related to the company business or product, and they would go back home for a few days and they would kind of present the results, right? There are so many different variations and flavors to this, uh, but there are also kind of real-time kind of ideation, whiteboarding sessions, which some other companies use. So there are the many different uh, types of these way to measure, uh, to evaluate a, a skill set. Uh, and they all has their own pros and cons. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts and your opinions and like maybe your experience with uh, these kind of exercises and these um, this methods to uh, in the interview process. Yeah, that's, a, that's also a great call. Um, to be very honest, I will sometimes hand over design exercise to candidates. Um, well, it's a very small firm, so we don't have like multiple rounds of interview like Google or other bigger firms. Normally, it's two to three rounds, three rounds the most, and sometimes like one round when the interview goes really well. Um, the moment when I hand over design exercises that um, is that I'm interested in this person, but I want to see more. Uh, in a way, even though it's there's some you know, pressure on this person, right, on this candidate. But I think it's actually an opportunity for this person to show her or his skill set to the team. Um, but I do understand the polarized opinion regarding that. Um, you know, I what I try to do is I will try, try not to throw a problem we're solving to this designer. <laughs> Normally, that's just not fair because you need so much context for a project, right? 
But what I would normally do is, um, let's say, because we're an agency product, right? Like an agency setting, and we work with a lot of new product, like early stage products. You know, some of them do have existing product out there. What I would normally do is to let this person to provide a heuristic evaluation or recommendation. Uh, I'll give him or her, you know, four to five days, um, very open-ended structure. You know, I do know some of the, you know, Silicon Valley company in their design exercise, they have very specific, you know, um, 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 details or requirements. I try not to be too specific and I try to, you know, um, maybe give it one or two direction and let them choose. And um, yeah, I was, I would say still, it, it definitely is effective, I think from an employer perspective. So um, um, while understanding there's a polarization, I, I will be doing that when needed. I would say that's my opinion. But the other thing is I will pay uh, the candidate if she's not or he's not selected. So I, I will try to make, communicate that somewhat clearly regarding your day rate and all that. I don't want you to work on something, you know, and just like spend your time and getting nothing, right? So so I think, uh, I do think that's, that's uh, important when the context is right. When it comes to whiteboarding, um, I think when it comes, you know, it's it's important, but I I try not to trust too much about the effectiveness of that. When I was like interviewing with other company, when I was early in my career, I believe with Vision Critical, I did a like thirty minute whiteboard session, right? Um, looking and, and I did whiteboard session at Vision Critical when when we were hiring other designers, um, mostly face to face, right? I think that is important to understand the designers. It's helpful when you know to understand. It, designer's uh, uh, communication skill, but you don't want to judge too much on the design skill in a whiteboarding session. So um, so I hope that answers the question. Uh, that's actually a good segue uh, into your company's interview process. Could you describe like what are the steps and you kind of already touched briefly on it, but like in more, I guess, in the CRISPR version and how long does it usually take? Yeah, uh, the company is small. So um, we don't have too many rounds. Like I said, like two to three rounds is, is mostly the case. And, um, uh, you know, the first interview will, you know, if I see this candidate's resume and I want to know more about this person, I'll just send out a Zoom link, especially in the COVID world. I'll try not to meet this person. And some of the designers we're hiring are remote, not in Vancouver or, you know, in Asia. Uh, definitely will have a one hour or two hour Zoom session. And um, um, I will ask very basic questions, really, you know, walk through portfolio, um, you know, the resume part and show showcase what we have, um, you know, have a bit of a uh, walkthrough of the, of, the, of the portfolio and all that. And then um, um, when the time is bright, like we will normally do a second round of interview it's either, you know, uh, critiquing some of the product we're looking at. I'll show some of the product we're looking at or we're working on. And just like, just to, I will observe how this person reacts to a product we're doing. And, you know, it's it's kind of like a smaller kind of real-time exercise. I do I do some of that. I know it's not that conventional. Um, and, um, you know, there's two different paths after the second interview. Um the first pass is, you know, I think this person's great. You know, I, I think there's a synergy and I look at a portfolio um, and I would just arrange another 
call or discussion to to give the offer. The other path is like I said before, uh, I see some potential in this person, but I want to give her or him another chance. Uh, we which means that we will hand out a, a small design exercise of two to three days, uh, or four days, and uh, another presentation after that. So um, I would say that's a normal sort of um, process that we go through. Yeah. And um, it normally takes like around two weeks, like the most three weeks-ish. I'm curious to get more understanding about the team structure and particularly the different maybe roles or specialized roles that you have on your team. Like, do you have researchers? Do you have UX writers? Like all that, all those details. Yeah, so um, it's a small team, like I said. Uh, so um, most of the designer uh, in our team uh, wear many hats. But I think there's two main, uh, I would say two main type. One is the designer is more visual focused. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't mean that she's only doing or he's only doing like, you know, visual design work, but, um, you know, she will have like a lot more responsibility assigned from a visual perspective and, um, you know, pers- participating into the sort of holistic design process or end-to-end design process uh, from a visual perspective. The other type of designer is uh, someone you would call an interaction designer with the research skill. Uh, because I think for a smaller agency like ours, uh, you know, we don't have the capacity to, to, to run to have to hire someone who's only doing research, right? And we, we you know we tend to be fairly product driven and sometimes we run research. So I think you know that kind of designer uh, normally come from a sort of non-creative background, you know, and uh, he or she is definitely more logical. And I I normally will 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 filter that or you know screen up can candidate doing the interview to understand what are the sort of like you know early kind of responsibility he or she want to take. And when the answer is normally say visual or execution level based front design, I will assign her or him into that path. And when the answer is more like, hey Andy, I want to you know be way better at you know uh, interaction design or pattern research and all that, or research uh, or even content strategy, right? I will assign this person into that part. And for me, I'm more like a design lead uh, in every single project. I will still overlook the the process, the outcome, and participating to discussion. And um, yeah, so uh, I'm in the process of potentially do hire another, uh, I would say more senior designer who can take more responsibility and heavy lifting. So, you know, I can free up with more time on the business side and on strategy, on strategy side. So we're, we're in that process right now. What about the design process that you use? Like a typical project, like how does it start and what are the key steps and what's the, the final outcome? Yeah, it, it, it really does vary one by one. Uh, a lot of project we work on is fairly, I would say half of them are research-based or strategy-oriented, especially when we're working with like larger companies. So we will, you know, provide more of a, you know, a couple of days of uh, design spring session just to understand the problem, whether remote or in person. And then, you know, we will uh, run a workshop and, 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 you know, and then take the, the insights into more of a research process or uh, design process. But again, you know, I think the process itself is still very much a double diamond process. You know, I think that's a sort of like a buzzy words a lot of designers like to use. It's like there's a 
problem definition process, right? You want to understand the problem, whether through research or workshop or all that. And there's a solution definition process, which is more like product driven or, you know, execution driven. You want to understand competitor pattern on your own pattern on running some rapid research, uh, figure out the, uh, the, you know, the actual product realization uh, outcome. So I think we do both. But, but, but again, um, you know, every project is different. So um, I would say half a project, we focus more on the sort of problem definition phase, which can be more research and strategy driven. And half a project, especially early stage startup projects, we, we, we're, you know, I try to think of ourselves as a, a junior type of meta lab, right? Meta lab, they're doing a lot of like startup project. And we actually do the same, like rapidly design something for startup from end to end, you know, maybe two to three months, we can hand over everything that's like, you know, pr like production ready can be hand over to front persons. But we start off, you know, without doing like too many like in-depth or crazy research, but we, we try to figure out the prototype first and then, you know, having some smaller research, iterate really fast. So I think that two type of um, uh, path are the two type of project we will normally take on. So each of them have a somewhat different process. One is more, I would say, rigid, you know, like, you know, more like a proper UCD, user experience design process. The other one is more like rapid prototyping and rapid execution. Yeah, sounds like a mix between like the the early startup uh, idea validation, product validation uh, kind of work and also kind of delivering the, the first version of it um, right. for the company to take over. Awesome. I think that uh, answers all the questions that I had for you for today. Um, so the remaining one is basically if somebody who is listening to this podcast wants to reach out and maybe ask a follow-up question or just talk about the company a bit more, uh, how they can do this, where they can find you. Yeah, I think the best way to find me are two options. One, you can find me on LinkedIn. So it's Andy Liu, uh, Future Form. You can just like, you know, it's Future Form, for, Form as F-O-R-M. You will find me easily over there. And I do, you know, check LinkedIn, you know, mails all the time. The other one is to go to our website or, uh, you know, uh, www.futureform.co or uh, send me an email at uh, hello at futureform.com. Thank you, Andy, very much for sharing your perspective on the hiring, on the really reviewing and evaluating candidates. Um, I think your input is super valuable. You have a very unique perspective of uh, being a person who runs the agency and who also hires quite a few junior entry-level designers. Um, I think this would be super valuable for the listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carol. It's my pleasure to share with you. Thanks for listening. If you want to see more episodes and support this podcast, the best thing you can do is leave a review on iTunes and share with your friends and colleagues. If you have specific questions you would want me to answer, you can submit them on the UX Career website. Go to uxcareer.co slash questions. Goodbye, friends.